Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Hey, good morning and welcome to Silverdale. My name is Maddie, and if I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I serve here as a part of the team on our Bonnie Oaks campus. And if you're joining us for the first time, whether that is in the room or maybe you're joining us online for the first time, we're just grateful and thankful that you would choose to join us for worship. We are beginning a brand new series today called A Christmas Miracle. Well, we're going to take the next couple weeks and we're going to prepare for and move towards and look towards our Christmas Eve services, which is going to be a service that you don't want to miss. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it for me and open it to Luke chapter 1 for me, Luke chapter 1. For many of us, the Christmas story is one that we're really familiar with. Right, if you've been in church any length of time or any number of years, you've heard the Christmas story taught or some part of the Christmas story for three or four or five weeks or six weeks leading up to Christmas. So for some of you, that's been decades of hearing the Christmas story. For others of us, we're familiar with the Christmas story because we were a part of a nativity play when we were in school. Any Mary and Joseph's in here when you were in school? No real child prodigies then, maybe one. We see you right there, Mr. Joseph, love that. Maybe you're familiar with the nativity, the Christmas story, because your kid was in a nativity play. Do we still do that? Anyone have a kid that was in a nativity play at some point? Less than the original child prodigies? Okay. Maybe some of us are familiar with the Christmas story because we've watched the movie The Star. Anyone seen The Star? About a, a, a talking donkey named Bo who's trying to find his purpose and get a part of the royal carriage and ends up carrying Mary. If you've not seen it, it's a wonderful movie. We'd really recommend it. There's a talking donkey. It's awesome. Doesn't get much better than that. Maybe some of us are familiar with the Christmas story because we saw Christmas according to Veggie Tales or whatever that may have looked like. Maybe your parents read you the Christmas story. Maybe you read it in school. But all of us in some form or fashion are familiar with the Christmas story. And on one hand, that's a really, really wonderful and incredible thing. On the other hand, it poses some unique problems for us. Because some would argue that familiarity breeds contempt. And and I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to that thought, but I do think that the more familiar we grow to something or become with something, often the greater sense of apathy that grows inside of us. That the more familiar we become with someone or something, the less respect or the less special that person or thing seems. We see this with a new job, right? Like we 
We go to a new job and we pull into the parking lot and we're all excited because we got our own parking spot or whatever. And then we hop out of the car and we're walking down this little sidewalk towards the building and there's some flowers and it's nice and like little manicured grass. And we're like, oh, this is all sweet and this is awesome. And we walk into the building and you get into the elevator or whatever. And some of your colleagues get in the elevator with you and Janice is telling you all about her dog Fluffy and it's really wonderful. And then you get out of the elevator and you're walking towards your cubicle or your desk or your office and you can smell the coffee and it's like, oh man, this just doesn't get any better. But then for some of us, maybe days, weeks, months, maybe years pass. And all of a sudden we pull into the parking lot and like my and parking space is so far away from that building. And we're so frustrated about where we park, we get out of the car and then we're walking towards the building and the, the flowers are dead and maybe there's, there's a little bit of mud on the thing and you're like frustrated because you can't park closer and now you're getting cold and maybe even getting wet. And then you get inside the building, you get in the elevator and if Janice talks about Fluffy one more time, I'm gonna strangle that woman. You get out of the elevator and dadgum Pete left the coffee pot on last night and now the coffee's burned. And what was like real sweet and special and we really loved it, all of a sudden there's this apathy, there's this frustration, there's this irritation that's grown inside of us. And I would argue that for maybe many of us in the room, the Christmas story has kind of become that way. We've grown real apathetic towards it. And in many ways, it's, it's kind of become like background noise to us. It's lost its uniqueness. It's lost its specialness. The thing that used to catch our breath, the story of God in creation, that God would, would send his son Jesus to earth is background noise. Around here, my friend Bikita would call this the wallpaper. And she'd talk about these things that are initially are so special to us, right? Like they're, they're unique and they're awesome, they're special, they're noticeable, but over time, they just become like the wallpaper that nobody notices. They're unremarkable, they're mundane, they're unnoticed. And I'd argue that the Christmas story for many of us has become that. It's become that in the midst of this season that is filled with presents and family drama and travel and overeating. One of the most miraculous things to ever happen, that a virgin would conceive a child whose father would be none other than God himself. That it happened in such a way that it would be the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies spoken over thousands of years that God himself would become Emmanuel, God with us, that he take on human flesh and come in the likeness of man to save and redeem a sinful people, his people, has merely become background noise. So my ask of you today, before we look at the text, it's twofold. The first thing I wanna ask of you today is we're, in a moment, we're gonna take a second to pray. And I'm gonna ask that you'd pray something very specific with me. I'm gonna ask that you would pray with me that God would allow us to see the Christmas story this Christmas season as if it were for the very first time. That as we read through the story of Christmas over these next several weeks, as we take really familiar passages to you and to me, that we would ask God that he would almost take back the scales off our eyes, if you would, and allow us to see it as if it were for the very first time. That we'd allow the story of Christmas to catch our breath again. That we'd stand in awe at the creator of the universe who sent his son. That we would be wowed by the story of Christmas again. And then the second thing that I'd ask you to pray is that you'd ask God to, to put somebody on your heart that you need to invite into this Christmas story. 
Someone that God would lay on your heart that you need to invite into the truth of the gospel. Somebody that needs to know that God is still working, God is still active, God is a miracle working God and that God wants to do something in their life. So would you pray with me this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we do, we ask, Lord, that you would allow us to catch a glimpse of the Christmas story this season as if it were for the very first time. God, for passages that we are familiar with, for things that we've read maybe a dozen times, things we've heard taught maybe a dozen times, God, that you would allow us to see it as if it were for the very first time. God, that you would lay somebody or some people on our heart even now that we need to invite into this story, who need to know the miracle of Christmas, who need to know the truth of the gospel. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter one. We're gonna start reading in verse 26 and we're gonna go all the way through verse 38. It's on the screens if you don't have it. It says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want you to write down is this. It's an an improbable place. An improbable place. What we see is God show up in the most improbable of places. Places, destinations, landmarks are now and have always been important to us. Every place has distinguishing features or landmarks that make it easily identifiable. For example, let's play a little bit of a game. Who can tell me, where is this? New York, great job, buddy. How about this one? London, okay, we're a little bit slower than the 9.30. Maybe we can catch you up this one. What did you all say? Okay, how about this one? Sydney. How about this last one? Paris, I swear, somebody over in this section said Vegas, right in here somewhere. (laughs) Places hold relevance. Places are important. They hold importance in our lives. Many hold importance across the course of history. Many of us in the room, maybe most all of us, can identify a time in our lives based on a place or event that has relevance. For example, I would guess that everybody 25 and over could tell me where you were on September the 11th, 2001. It's a moment in history that is captured in our minds by a place that we were. Maybe even people over 70 or so in the room, not gonna ask you to identify yourselves, but you could probably tell us where you were and what you were doing the moment that you found out President Kennedy had been assassinated. There's a place that holds relevance. There's a place that's important. 
Places are important. They mean something to us. I recently got to go back to England and visit my dad. My dad turns 81 this week. If you'd ask my dad today, hey, what did you have for lunch four days ago? He's going to look at you and say, uh, I can't remember. But one morning I picked him up and we went for a drive. He lives, where he lives now is probably about 30, 40 minutes from where he was raised. He hasn't been in that place for about 30 or 40 years. So I picked him up. I said, dad, we're going to go drive around. You're going to show me where you were raised. We're going to talk all about it. And we drove for about three hours. No GPS. And we never missed a turn. For three hours, he'd say, hey, drive down here, you're going to hit, when you get down there, you're going to hit a hospital, make a left at the hospital, we'd make a left at the hospital, you go right, when you make your right, you'll go down, there's a, there's a gas station, there's a post office, there's this, there's that, chuck this right, make this left, so on and so on and so forth. For three hours, he didn't miss a turn. He knew exactly where we were the whole time because places are important to us. Places hold relevance to us. So can you imagine the amazement of those reading the gospel of Luke for the very first time as they read that the angel Gabriel has announced the coming birth of the Messiah, the Son of God, but he didn't do it in Judea, which had been the center, the heart, if you would, of God's work for centuries. He didn't go to Jerusalem, which was the capital city of Israel and where the temple was. Gabriel showed up in Nazareth. Nazareth. Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament. There isn't any pre-Christian mention of Nazareth even found. Nazareth was a non-place. It was a shoddy, corrupt little town between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon that was overrun by Gentiles and Roman soldiers. Even in John chapter 1, verse 46, one of the disciples, Nathaniel, says this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was nothing. It was an improbable place. And the early Jews would have read this with amazement at the fact that the angel of God showed up to a nothing town to announce the birth of the Messiah. But not only was Nazareth an improbable place, in skipping over Jerusalem, Gabriel skipped over the temple, the most significant, the most magnificent and holy place in all of Israel to go to the home of Mary. Gabriel skipped over the gold, he skipped over the liturgy, he skipped over the tradition, he skipped over the privilege to go to a poor girl's house. That's the second thing that I want you to write down today. God sent Gabriel not only to an improbable place, he sent him to an unlikely person. We don't know a whole lot about this woman who was tasked with carrying the Son of God, but what we can learn and assume is that Mary was likely a poor, illiterate teenager. 14 years of age at the oldest, the only thing she knew about God was likely what she'd heard in the temple or memorized in her home. She was too young to know much about the world and how it works, and she was too young and too poor to have accomplished anything of significance. Her life was pretty much mapped out for her. She'd marry a poor tradesman, maybe have several kids with this guy, travel barely but a few miles out of Nazareth. She was an unlikely person from an improbable place. Mary was the kind of person that we look past. Mary was the kind of person that we look beyond. It wouldn't be unfair to say that Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Mary was the girl who sits in the cafeteria by herself and nobody talks to Mary was the kind of girl, when you walk into a room and you see them sitting there, you don't go sit next to her. Mary was the kind of girl in the office 
that nobody wants to hang out with and nobody wants to eat lunch with. Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. In 2007, this guy named Joshua Bell, he shows up at DC's busiest metro station during the middle of rush hour and spends about 45 minutes playing a, playing a violin. It's estimated that thousands of people pass by him and six notice him. Six people notice him. They stop and he makes in 45 minutes a whopping $32. Little did the thousands of people know who were passing by through that plaza at that time that Joshua Bell is one of the foremost violinists, if that's even the right word, in the country. And later on that week, he'd play out in front of a sold-out Kennedy Center in D.C. with tickets averaging about $100 per ticket on a violin that's estimated to have cost $3.5 million. The same violin he was playing in the metro station. He was unnoticed. He was a nobody in the middle of nowhere just like Mary would have been. The early Jewish readers would have read the Gospel of Luke and they would have wondered why in the world would the angel Gabriel be sent to this nothing town of Nazareth to meet with a poor teenage girl called Mary. And then if that's not enough, Gabriel comes with some of the most incredible news. It's the third thing that I want you to write down. It's an impossible gift. God sends Gabriel with news of the most impossible gift that Mary, this poor peasant girl in the middle of nowhere would miraculously conceive a child, a child who would be the incarnate God, God in the flesh, Jesus, the Messiah of the world. It was a gift she was undeserving of. It was a gift she was unprepared for. God could have chosen anybody in the world at that moment in time or any moment in time to be the one who would carry and nurture his son for nine months and then raise him for the years after. God could have found the richest, the bravest, the proudest, the smartest, the most beautiful, but instead, he chose the humblest. Look at this in verses 28 and 29. It says this, and he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Gabriel calls Mary, O favored one, and Mary's response is not, oh yeah, that's me. Her response isn't, well, you know, I do try. Mary's response is the one of utmost humility. Gabriel gives her the greatest compliment. He blesses her in the name of God and Mary in her humility of heart is so troubled by it because she believes she's so undeserving of it. That I don't deserve the favor of God essentially is what she says. Her humble estate, her matching humility make her the ideal recipient of one of the greatest and most impossible gifts ever given for the son of God to live inside of you. Look what Gabriel goes on to say in verses 31 through 33. It says, and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary asks in verse 34 this, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And Gabriel goes on to tell her that God by the power of his spirit would miraculously bring about new life inside of her. See, every Christmas, 
It's easy for us to read that part of the Christmas story like it's just information, like it's just a part of history, like it's just background in the grand story of God. But if we read it that way, we miss what God through Luke is teaching us because it's in the story of Mary and the conception of Jesus that we find a picture of the gospel. It's in the story of Mary that we find your story, my story. You see, it's often in improbable places that we come face to face with Jesus. It's in the brokenness of our abuse. It's in the mess of our mistakes. It's in the aftermath of the affair. It's at the bottom of the bottle. It's in the most improbable of places that Jesus shows up. And he doesn't just show up there in those places. He shows up there to meet with the most unlikely of people. You. Me. He shows up to meet with liars and cheats, thieves and tormentors, abusers and manipulators, unlikely people, you, me. It's on a cross where he meets a criminal whose crimes are so despicable that he's being punished by death. It's in the middle of an angry mob where he meets a woman who's half naked and ashamed because she was caught committing adultery. It's in a religious zealot's house where he meets a prostitute who washes his feet with her tears. It's in a jail cell where he meets the man arrested for yet another DUI. It's on the couch at the counselor's office where he meets with the woman broken because of the decisions that she's made. It's in the doctor's office where he meets with the person who's heard the word cancer for the very first time. It's here in this room where he meets with men and women who have no idea what to do with the rest of their lives. He meets with unlikely people in improbable places. Jesus, the king above all kings, Lord of all lords, the one whose kingdom knows no end, shows up in the most unlikely of places to meet with us. For me, it's been a dorm room on my college campus. It's been in a hospital room. It's been in an orphanage filled with abandoned kids in the middle of the Dominican Republic. It's been on my bathroom floor. It's been on a trail in the woods. When God has shown up to meet with me in the midst of my brokenness. And when God meets us, unlikely people in improbable places, he meets us with the most impossible gift, himself. Jesus meets us unlikely people in improbable places and he gives us the most impossible gift. He gives us himself. Go ahead and write this down for me. That the gift of God is salvation through Jesus. The gift of God is salvation in and through only Jesus. The gift God gave Mary was to literally carry salvation to the world. And for all of us, the first time we meet with Jesus, the gift he offers us is the gift of salvation that he himself would pay the penalty for our sin, for my sin, that by his death on the cross in our place, he would make us righteous and holy and perfect before God, that he'd restore our relationship to God and with God. Look at the way the apostle Paul writes this to the church in Ephesians. It says, in you, us, We're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body of mind, sound familiar, does for me, and whereby the nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, 
showed up in an improbable place, met an unlikely person and gave you the impossible gift, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you and I have been saved. Jesus meets with us unlikely people and offers the most impossible gift, salvation. And maybe like Mary, you sit in your seat and say, how? How will it be? Because in Mary's story, we see our story. And the same thing he does for Mary, he does for you. By the power of his spirit, he will bring about new life inside of us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he takes what's dead, he casts it aside, and he makes us new. But it's not a one and done type scenario. You see, Jesus keeps showing up in our lives. Maybe you can relate to my experience. When I run hardest and furthest and fastest from Jesus, you know who I meet there? Jesus. When I make mistakes, I meet Jesus. When I run from him, he's there. When I turn from him, he's there. When I'm confused, he's there. When I'm broken, he's there. When I'm hurt, he's there. When I hurt others, he's there. Everywhere I turn, he keeps showing up. And he gives the gift of himself. He doesn't show up time and time and time again and say, you need to get saved again. He doesn't keep showing up and say, you need salvation again. Salvation is one time we show we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus and we are saved for eternity. We cannot run from him and he keeps showing up. And he's showing up in those moments to meet you with exactly what you need. Look how the Bible says this in Philippians 4, 19. It says, and my God will supply every need of yours. Every need. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God shows up in improbable places to meet with unlikely people with the greatest gift of all, which is the gift of himself. At the bottom of your outline, there's one more blank, and it says this, Jesus brings me. And I went back and forth with this, because I could have put something here for you, but the thing that I would have put here for you would be for me. See, because Jesus shows up in my life to meet my need. Jesus is showing up in my life in this season, very specifically to meet my need. But the question I would ask you is right now in this season of life that you find yourself in, what's your need? For those of us who have a relationship with Christ, what do you need Jesus to bring you? Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe it's direction. Maybe it's clarity. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's health. God will meet your every need through Jesus. Maybe for some of you, what you need more than anything in the world right now is Jesus and a relationship with Jesus. Maybe this morning what Jesus is gonna bring you is salvation. God's promise in scripture is to meet our every need. And God always, always keeps his promises. Listen, here's what I want to do here in just a moment. I want to pray for us.
We're going to have some pastors and encouragers down front that would love to come alongside you and pray with you and pray for you. What do you need from God right now? What do you need God to be for you right now? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much. God, for your grace, your mercy towards us. God, that you are not a king, you are not a God who is disconnected and absent. You are a God, you are a king who is real, who is present, who is alive, who loves his people, who is not far off. God, and we ask even now this morning, God, that you would meet our needs. God, for the hurting and the broken, that you would bring healing. God, for the confused and the lost, that you'd bring clarity and wisdom and direction. For those who feel like they're at the end of their rope, that you'd bring purpose. And we ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.